Do you spend hours in your head thinking about something that happened, could have happened, or might happen? Do you ask others what to do so you don't make a mistake? Welcome to the Playing It Safe podcast. I am Dr. Z, your host. I am a clinical psychologist, an author, and a person that is super passionate about sharing with you science-based skills to overcome any type of fear-based struggles. Who doesn't experience fear? Who doesn't play it safe? In this show, we will discuss how fear-based reactions happen in day-to-day life, how playing it safe behaviors look like, sound like, and feel like, how you can put into action solid tips from behavioral science to get unstuck from worries, fears, obsessions, and anxieties, and how you can start doing what works, what matters, and what you care about. Behavioral science doesn't have to be boring. Thanks for listening, and let's get started. What do you do when your mind is relentlessly criticizing you? What are the skills that you need to put into action when your mind starts criticizing you? Welcome back, everybody. This is Dr. Z, and in this episode, I am sharing with you a conversation I had with a colleague and a friend, Joe Oliver. Joe is a clinical psychologist. He's an associate professor and program director for the University College London Postgraduate Program in Cognitive Behavior Therapy. He's the founder of Contextual Consulting, an organization providing training, supervision, and therapy in acceptance and commitment therapy in UK. He's the author and editor of several books. He has published numerous peer-reviewed scientific articles and leads randomized controlled trials in ACT and mindfulness-based stress reduction interventions. One of Joe's specializations includes acceptance and commitment training for people with low self-esteem. In this episode, Joe and I chatted about what is self-esteem, how to handle self-criticism, how to notice when you are entangled with your mind, how to notice and catch your playing it safe moves, how you can deal with negative stories, and we also dive into a particular process of acceptance and commitment therapy called diffusion. Diffusion refers to the process of stepping back from all the thinking and thinking and thinking that your mind is constantly doing and watching those thoughts for what they are. They are part of your experience, but they don't define who you are. I really appreciate Joe's approach to psychological flexibility and how he puts into action principles from acceptance and commitment training into his day-to-day life. I really hope you find this episode helpful and I encourage you to go to the notes of the episode on the website www.thisisdrz.com so you can find more resources about it. On another note, I want to encourage everyone listening to this episode to go to the website and complete that Plain It Safe questionnaire so you can identify your Plain It Safe profile and recognize all those thinking strategies, all those Plain It Safe moves that you are relying on. But if they go and check, they will keep you living a contradiction between the life you want to live and the life that you are living. 
Your plain safe profile will give you the awareness you need to stop living small, to stop relying on ineffective plain safe moves so you can start living with purpose every day you are awake. The website again is www.thisisdrz.com and just select the option that says Plain It Safe Questionnaire. I wish you a great day and without further ado, let's jump onto the conversation with Joe Oliver. Perhaps I can start asking you about any time in which you play it safe. When I think about planning safe moves, I am thinking about all the things that we do privately in our head and publicly with our behavior to manage worries and anxiety. Um, I think that we all play it safe. The challenge is when we play it safe too much and too quick. Yeah, I've been known to play it safe. Fairly regular occurrence. Absolutely. And the thing is, playing it safe, it's, it's appealing, I find. It's, as the name says, it's nice and safe. It's nice and cozy and comfortable. And that's why, personally, I find it so appealing. And I'm sure lots of people do. And probably the place I would play it most safe would be with other people. Uh, mm-hmm. and there's a few particular scenarios where I really, really like to play it uh, and others that stand out. But, you know, when I meet new people, I'll play it safe. When I'm around people I feel a bit uncertain about, I'll play it safe. When I'm standing up in front of a whole bunch of people speaking, I'll play it mm-hmm. safe. As I'm talking now, I'm talking to you and on this podcast, I'm thinking, gosh, I need to give good answers. That makes sense. And there's a bit of playing it safe there if it comes up. It's sort of the interpersonal thing about, I don't know, wanting to be liked by other people and fit in and not judged and included and be part of the, everything that's going on. That's right. That's right. So it's like it's always in the background, right? It's, it's cozy, it's warm, and it's natural. And are there times in your life in which playing itself has go against your values or who you want to be and how did you manage that? Yeah, that's the thing, right? Because as, as fine as I think playing it safe is, and you could probably, maybe I could argue, it could be a value. It could be it could be part of self-care or just going slow, taking it easy. There's sort of something for me gets really restrictive about it. It doesn't allow me a lot of latitude or movement. It's always the, if I play the play, if I play the play it safe game, it's always the one kind of option that doesn't really allow me to do the other options that are what happen when I step out of my cozy bubble and I feel anxiety or fear or sadness or that range of things. When is that? Yeah. So, so playing it safe, I do that a lot with people. Undoubtedly, and I will play it safe. And for me and my career, my work and what I do, I've gone down this funny road of ending up doing a lot of speaking in front of people, public speaking, and yeah. which has been great. And it's a real, gosh, if I was able to talk to myself now, like my 20 year old self now and say, hey, this is going to be your career. This is what you, I would have been freaking out thinking you're crazy. What is it? And the reason for that was I played it safe a lot. I would kind of hold back and not put myself out there and not... Uh, speak my mind or say my truth or contribute in ways that I think were would have been important and, and coming from a place where it was okay just to speak and say this is what I think mm-hmm. and this is what I believe this is how I see the world and so they both probably meant that I missed a lot of opportunities to do my work connect mm-hmm. more deeply with people but it also had this sort of funny kind of message to myself like every time I did it so that little voice was like aha see I told you you're not really that important I don't know compounded a little bit i see i see and joe how did you make that shift how did you make that shift from playing it safe all the time with people to do all the super cool things you're doing these days uh i wish i could say i had a, like a magic pillar took it was like bang it all disappeared <laughs> um, 
<laughs> what was it? It was a lot of practice. And it was a lot of, in fact, when it came to public speaking, there's actually two things that, that there is a yeah. magic pill, two magic pills. And one was being kind to myself. And I swear mm-hmm. to God, that made, that made such the big difference to me. It was just like ease the pressure off. It was when I was going to speak, just put my hand literally on my chest and say, you got this is okay. Good enough is okay. And that was just like water being poured onto a dry desert. And that made such a huge difference. And the other thing I did was at the same time, I just kept practicing. I kept putting myself into situations and and kept up with it. And weirdly, I found the more that I didn't do that other thing, the more I kind of sort of practiced putting myself out there, the easier it got. So I had to go along hand in hand with that being kind to myself while I was doing it. Rather yeah. than pushing, pushing myself, I must speak in public. That probably wouldn't have worked. Yeah, but it's very interesting what you're saying, because I think sometimes if we're playing it safe too much, we became very self-critical and very harsh with ourselves so i can see how being kind in some way gives you permission to just do what you need to be doing and you mentioned also practicing practicing a couple of times i know for myself when i have been and i'm still very self-conscious of the way i talk i will rehearse hundreds of times i can be rehearsing one full day for a five uh-huh. minute talk so rehearsing could be another plain and safe move at times i know it has been for me in the past yeah. We check that, that the rehearsing and the practicing doesn't become another plan it's safe move that will keep you stuck. How do you yeah, yeah. manage that? Yeah, for sure. Because it's important to rehearse and practice, right? Like, of course. I don't know. Something. Yeah, exactly. I want to get, I want to deliver my, what I say. That's got a what with impact and yeah. land be entertaining and fun and interesting to people. And I know for a fact if I just roll out there with no practice, it's going to be a funny <laughs> experience. So, when is it kind of I reckon there's like a, it's just like a quality to it. I feel like, because I don't think I could probably say just looking at it, the activity, you could say that's playing it safe and that's not just the observation of it, but the quality on the inside. I know it's like when I'm, I've got my fists clenched up and my shoulders go up and tighten up and I just get rigid and feel like, and that's often when I'm playing it safe. I'm feeling the practice and rehearsing feels very defensive. Like I'm defending myself against something really bad happening. I'm preparing myself. When it's about something different, practicing and rehearsing because I want to enjoy it, I want to give something, I want to contribute, blah, blah. It has a real different quality. Like my shoulders are down. I shit up. I'm breathing. I'm having fun. I'm creative. I'm not like attending to threat. My mind isn't going and thinking about the 101 ways it's all going to go wrong. So that's fists are unclenched, shoulders drop down. So that's the quality of it. Is the, is I, for me, that's the way I know when I'm playing it safe versus yeah. what I'm not. That's, that's really powerful, right? Anything could become a plain and safe move. Like mm-hmm. everything can be a plain and safe move. So it's beautiful that you check, okay, how I'm doing this, the quality of the rehearsing in this case. Mm-hmm. Um, if I can ask a little bit more, Joe, one of the things that happens to me at times is that I can be doing this podcast, I can be writing something, and then quickly my mind will come with all kinds of criticism. Um, up and down, left and right. I can't believe you say that. And mm-hmm. sometimes I start replaying things that I have said or done wrong in the past. And mm-hmm. then, of course, quickly going to how bad it's going to be in the next minute. Um, mm-hmm. If you have moments like that, when your mind goes a little bit wild and very critical, what would you do? If I'm next to you, what do I see you doing on the outside? And what do you do in the inside? Ah, you, if I was like getting, if my mind was 
<laughs> if my mind was doing that, you and I was really caught up with it. You probably would see me just go really quiet. Uh, you probably see Thanks, me, Mike. yeah, not saying a lot, asking questions. It's a nice thing to do. I like to do like, don't ask mm-hmm. me about me. Talk about you and make it easy for me. Um, oh, I know that. I know that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, those would be definitely the kind of things I do. I'd probably be just distracted too, because I'd be worrying about, I don't know, the things coming up or yeah, I'd be worrying about how I was coming across what I was saying with if I was, the person I was talking to was listening, was saying the right things and those kind of things. That's definitely... Mm-hmm. That'd be the quality mm-hmm. I'd be if I was getting really wrapped up with it. Yeah. Got it. And if you handle it in a more, in a different way, using the skills, what would you be doing? Yeah, that's a good question. You don't want to, my mom always said to this, half the battle is just noticing what's going on. I was like, that, that's, mm-hmm. a, that's really a good piece of wisdom, mom. Like, because I, I feel like it is half the battle because so much of the time I just go through my life and I'm just wrapped up in my head. I don't even know what's going on. It's just, it's like a happening to me. And right. as soon as I start to realize and go pop, something's happening here. Oh, this is one of those things. There's my mind at it again. I'm, I'm ahead of the game. You know, I've got options suddenly then that just weren't available to me before. There's 101 options just suddenly appear in front of me. And typically those options would be, uh, one of my favorite ones is to, to as I, when I notice that happening, is just to come back in the moment mm-hmm. and I wiggle my toes, stand up straight. And then I just go, I just, it's just about, I can feel myself like letting that stuff go. And it, it feels tantalizing. Like I want to hold on to and engage with it. But I suddenly like, I don't have to, that, that is, that's something I can let go of. Cause that really just is not helpful to me. And man, I love that feeling. It's like, oh, wow. <laughs> of course. Why didn't I think of this earlier? Such a nice <laughs> feeling. And there's sort of other options might come out. I had this yesterday. I was walking down the road and I was, where I was dropping my son off to school and I was just feeling a bit deflated and just a bit meh about stuff. And I kind of like suddenly realized what was going on. And then I suddenly also realized to myself, oh, this is because I'm really tired because I had a late night the night before and I'm not, I haven't slept well. So I know this happens to me when I get tired, like my thoughts have this kind of quality to them. And that was such a nice thing. It was like, oh, okay, I'm just tired. I need to then just go easy with myself. That's mm-hmm. what I need to do. Rather than old me would have gone, oh, faster, harder. You're doing something wrong. Stop being so negative. Be positive and blah, blah, blah. That's super helpful. Can I ask a little bit more? And first, I also want to say thank you to your mom. That was a very wise advice. I love it. I love it. The first one, know it. I love it. It is true, right? How often we're stuck in our heads and we don't even know it. Mm, Hours and hours living in our heads. Um, you mentioned just moments ago that one of the things that you will have done, your old self may have been very busy trying to think positive. Mm. Uh, this is something that a lot of people do these days uh, mm. because they have received messages that every time you have an unwanted thought or a self-criticizing thought, you have to replace it with something good and tell yourself mm. how good you are. Um, mm. And you and I may think alike about this, but how do you see it? What do you think about that? If people are listening to us, and they have to see those messages. They have to think positive every time they have a bad thought about themselves. I would say don't waste your time. More effective and efficient <laughs> ways to go about things. Honestly. I love it. Yeah. It's just such a it's such a burden on people's shoulders when all that stuff cranks up and then somehow we have to think positively. And it's like, oh my gosh, that's such an extra thing. When there are there are much better approaches and technologies we can use to pop ourselves out of this to create some space and distance from that. Uh, you know, it's, it's it's when I get caught in that have to think positive loop, all I'm doing is just amplifying it. 
And there's another thing, and I'm pretty good at thinking positively, honestly. I think most people are, but we can generate positive thoughts and look on the bright side and whatnot. It's just that it's really tiring. And and then, you know, when it doesn't work and when eventually the negative thoughts come back in, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm ready for a double dose of, oh my gosh, I failed again. And it just kind of perpetuates itself when I, when I learn those skills and promote space and distance uh, from my thinking and create that step backness. It's such a more uh, elegant, efficient way of responding. Mm -hmm. I would say though, I find it quite counterintuitive though. It doesn't come naturally to me. It feels kind of weird. Yeah, I remember when I was learning app, right, the whole idea of acknowledging that we don't have control of our thoughts and that there is a difference between pushing through or powering through versus accepting. It mm-hmm. felt, oh my gosh, how do I do this in my day-to-day life, right? Um, um, so what would you encourage people to try, given that it feels a little bit different to not go into this thinking positive mode? Yeah, I, so that there's that one really key piece is about recognizing when when we're doing it. So when we're getting hooked and entangled with thoughts, and there's a couple of metaphors like hooked with thoughts or entangled with, or when our thoughts are really close up to us. Mm-hmm. That ability to recognize that the, that kind of comes from the types of thoughts that do that, the kinds of situations when that's more likely, what kinds of thoughts I'm going to get, I tend to get hooked with. It's so powerful. And straight away, there's that ability just to have space. And you said this before, you said, thank your mind. It's a cool way to do that, which is like, oh, thank you. I see what you're doing there. And it's overly helpful or trying to keep me safe or protect me. Great. And I wonder if I could just have a little space from you at the moment. It's for me, just a really nice, powerful way of creating that space and distance. I also think there's a, that it helps me when I add something into that space, like it's not just about the space because I want to make that useful and having a question, which is, and now what would I like to do? And now what's my next step? If I could choose it uh, becomes really helpful because it empowers me a bit. It makes me feel like that's useful on some alternatives. I've got some room to move. Um, so that's, I find a really big part of responding effectively to, to those thoughts. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like what you're saying. It really sounds much more elegant, right? Joe, one of the things you have been interested in the last couple of years and you have written about it is this topic of self-esteem. And by the way, I absolutely love your book. It's such an impactful book. My clients love it. So thank you for all the hard work you have put on it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, can I ask you, what's the story behind this book? How did you decide? That- uh, well, what's the, the what's the story? It's written together with a good friend of mine, uh, Rich Bennett. Uh, and yeah. him and I have had a long interest in this area. Uh, and he has his own journey in terms of his particular interest in it. And I have it certainly in mine. Um, I, I've always been fascinated by the ability for this our self-esteem the self-stories the narratives we hold about ourselves to be so so powerful and and bend and warp reality around us in, mm-hmm. in, in ways that just amazing to me and so, that's certainly my own journey of realizing the impact that old stories had on me and just the way that i saw mm-hmm. things and related to people and didn't see things and when i finally just i was able to take some alternative perspectives and just see sort of more widely it was just blew my mind um because i'd always going back i'd always had this sort of funny feeling like it's like for me when i get caught up with those old self stories they're really old and painful ones they're really old and painful and it's often about not belonging not fitting in being on the outside and the thing that always i never could get my head around was you know, they're really painful and I, you know it's a horrible place to be in but 
quietly to myself, I, there was always something that's kind of drew me into it. And it was a weird sensation. I felt it was just about like, I felt like a comfortable old slipper to put on. And as mm-hmm. painful and lonely a place it was, it was just this weird comfort about going into that place. And I just for mm-hmm. so long never could get my head around. Why is that? And, you know, and equally when I was working with people, they would t- say the same kind of things, you know, so much so that I, you know, it was very easy to get into arguments with people where they'd be fighting their corner and saying, this is the reason why I'm worthless. These are the reasons I'm not important. Here's all the list of catalog of things to say that I'm a, I'm a terrible person. And it was, it felt like the question is, why are you putting up such a fight? And I'd ask myself that, why am I putting up such a fight? And why am I so drawn to this? So that's the thing that drew us into that, like how to answer that question and how to obviously we're not just the only people thinking that but how act and acceptance and values can shine some a light on that important question which is that of course we get drawn into things or good reasons for that and this is why that idea of playing it safe is so important i believe that when i and I, and people get entangled with our self stories there's something very safe about it there's something very cozy about it weird something very old slipperish about it yeah yeah which is, it seems weird to say the place we're talking about is like a lonely, disconnected, isolated, on my own, don't belong, not good enough, worthless. And yet in that place is something very kind of cozy. And that's the thing. It's so crucial to understand, like what has contributed to that coziness? How does that safety generated? And what's the person's history over time? Like that they've learned that's a safe place to be because that's the key, right? Because this cozy, warm prison that we find ourselves in. And it's like all the time we've got the key kind of dangling around our neck. It's like, how do we get out? Well, there's the key. Let's figure out our, our way out of this cozy place and you know, a life on the outside. So it's interesting that it's exactly as you're saying. It's so familiar. It's so cozy. And we go back mm-hmm. there, right? Mm-hmm. It's a very familiar friendly safe move. And, and in some way, it protects us. It protects mm-hmm. us from doing something different, mm-hmm. from facing a hard conversation. Um, yeah, but, but it's very tricky. It's very yeah. tricky. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, as you guys were working on the topic, um, what would you say are the act processes or the act skills that you see that have been much more helpful to people? As you mm-hmm. were writing or you're trying to put them in paper so people can work to them, right? If people are listening to us and they read your book, Mm-hmm. Uh, what are those skills that you will, you will encourage them to slow down and to dive? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's a good place. Slow down and dive in. That's a really nice place to start. <laughs> and with all this, we had this interesting metaphor we developed through the book, <laughs> which was just a way to help people get eyes on this stuff. Because for me, that I didn't see how this thing operated for a long, long time. I didn't see the impact on it had on me, and which was the way it made me play it safe all the time the way it didn't allow me to value myself or it didn't let me see the way other people valued me it would it was like it got in the way and so the metaphor we developed was like this thing we keep talking about the self-story operate a little bit like a we have this sort of cozy relationship with a monster not Mm -hmm. just like a you know a monster that's big and scary of course it is it's got teeth right it's got claws and whatnot (laughs) yellow eyes yeah it is yeah by definitions but also, it's one of those monsters like Sully. Remember Sully from Monsters, Inc.? He was the big, tall one, and he had this sort of plush purple fur. Um, yeah, remember him? Remember Sully. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. Um, <laughs> so he was both scary, but also really cuddly. And that quality represents the sort of the, the both parts of this, of this coziness. So they are scary, but also the bigness. They protect us. They're nice to put our arms around. They're cozy and familiar. 
mm-hmm. we know them. We just kind of they have a kind of indentation of us. So it's it's just this sort of sense of what's known. It's uh, there's nothing unusual or or not known here. This sort of kindness about it, which is really appealing as much as they hold us and keep us to play it safe and don't allow us to do anything else. They grip us really tightly or whisper things in our ear to tell us how terrible and worthless we are. We can never have that because that's the kind of person we are. That metaphor ran right throughout and it turned out to be a really helpful thing to help people get a sense of here's this thing, get eyes on this. Once you get eyes on it, then you can start to do something different with it. Don't always have to kind of engage with it. The metaphor is very powerful, right? I think it really captures the essence of what these stories are. They can be really scary or painful, right? Like I'm a yeah. mess, um, I don't fit in, um, I'm lonely. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they are so familiar that they protect us. They have this cozy quality. So mm-hmm. if people listen to us, we will invite them to slow down and just notice how their monster looks and sounds maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, what else do they do? So if I notice that um, one of my stories is I am unlovable, mm-hmm. no one will ever love me. Uh, yeah. I am unworthy of love. And that's my monster. And the way yeah. that I handle that story is by um, disconnecting from relationships. Or if I talk to people, I want to make sure I throw a joke so they remember myself with a smile. I never drop the boat. I don't ask too much for what I need. So yeah. if, I, if I map my monster like that, then yeah. what else will I do? Giving you work and expertise. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of pain in that monster, isn't there? Wow. It's oh, it's got a, a lot of a lot of pull to it. And the very first thing I do is that that's that's we got eyes on the teeth and the claws. I want to hear more about the fur uh, and mm. the ways in which that what makes that monster so appealing because because for anyone for me for you for people listening we got to understand the appeal of this monster because when we understand the appeal of it that's when we can start really beginning to let this monster go as we can understand why this monster has played such an important role in our lives has maybe in some instances kept us alive it's so mm-hmm. important and and then we can approach this monster with some dignity some respect uh, and mm-hmm. thankfulness uh, and begin to renegotiate the terms of the relationship, essentially. And the terms of that relationship is rather than the monster doing the leading and saying, this is what you can and can't do, the terms of the relationship become more about what I want, what you want, uh, what what we want in our lives, and and that are going to be, uh, that'll lead to a life that's rich, fun, fulfilling. Uh, and those are the things that then start to guide how the relationship works so that we can, uh, we can of course, then listen to that monster, but we don't always take it so seriously. We can thank our monster, appreciate the hard work that it's doing. And crucially, as we acknowledge the role the monster's done and the why it's so important, we, it's a little bit like rather than the monster standing in the doorway in terms of where mm-hmm. we go to the next in our life, it's kind of, we grab the monster by the hand and say, come on, let's go. You and me together, we're going to go on this ride together. I'm not going to fight with you. I'm certainly not going to get rid of you. You're an important part of me and my history. And I want you, you to come with me on this next stage. And But I'm going to choose it. I'm the, going to be the one saying where we go, but you're going to come along with. And that's the kind of the sort of the next steps. And monsters like that. Yeah, they like to be listened to and respected. And they're often I find willing to try out new things. Kind of cool. It's- as you were talking, I am visualizing myself walking with all these all the stories I have my whole life, right? I'm just yeah. visualizing exactly that. We're just walking on the street and just yeah. holding my monster. Um, it has this yellow outfit, right? Uh, but it's coming with me. So I absolutely love that. It's really also the other thing, Joe, that was coming as you were talking, that of this softness, there was so much gentleness that was coming up. 
when I was thinking about my own stories and holding them with me as I'm holding the hand of the monster. Um, I'm wondering here, when you present this to people and they try, they try to understand how the monster shows up and how it has been protecting them and they mm -hmm. negotiate a new relationship with them. Sometimes it's going to be hard because some of these stories are very historical. They have been reinforced. They really have protected us for hundreds of times, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and the monster can be a little bit louder and maybe it's screaming at you. So yeah. if people have that monster, a monster that it's very tough and doesn't want to negotiate again that relationship, yeah. what would people do in those moments when the monster yeah. keeps sure yeah you got to talk to the monster right that's the number one rule would be like not let's not fight with it let's not antagonize it provoke it because monsters are exceptionally skilled at winning arguments they're exceptionally skilled at shouting down they've got their kind of their, their tricks and they're really good like you say they've done it a hundred times thousand times before so whatever we're going to do it needs to be new um because they we can't fight them on their own terms and it, it's not about fighting it's going to be about slowing them down and listening and finding out the kind of things that they're scared of. What are they worried about? What are they? What do they not want to happen? And learning as that relationship is redeveloped, establishing it on the basis of mutual respect. This monster will come along with, and its fears will be listened to and acknowledged and validated. And that also means that the monster and the person indeed has to have the space to talk about, like where did this monster come from? Why is it there? So those uh, history pieces become really important. And in the moment, it's. Uh, no, it's like a, I keep using this sort of renegotiating in terms of relationship, which sounds quite artificial, but that's, it does take some time, right? It's, it's like, I often think of a bit like couples therapy it never happens. Well, I've, I've never had the experience uh, in couples therapy, which is one session, bang. And the, the couple are like, oh, great. Okay. We see each other eye to eye now. <laughs> Job done. It takes a little time to hear each other out and kind of get everything there. So that's what I usually say to people on one, allow it to take some time. Don't rush it. Uh, and in the moment, just be kind of. This is a tough ask, but uh, be a little uh, gentle with the monster, firm but gentle, slow and steady. Uh, don't don't look to dismiss or antagonize, uh, and be uh, um, yeah, like just slow and firm as a as a really nice stance that monsters, in my experience, often listen to and take on board. Well. I I think um, which monster does not like to be listened to, right? Like all monsters want to be, have the space in their own life, right? They don't want to lose the space, right? Yeah, yeah. They want to be with us. Um, yeah. I use the term of renegotiating that relationship, and I think that's what it is. I think that's exactly what it is. Right? It's just developing a new um, sense of connection, perhaps, perhaps with this story, in a way that doesn't take over. Um, mm -hmm. If I can ask a little bit more, um, I think that sometimes um, these monsters have also organized our behaviors um, in regard to other relationships. And we are scared of having courageous conversations. We are scared of asking for what we need in a relationship. We are scared of rocking the boat. Behaving um, is another plane. It's a move and it's very, I think, sometimes we keep relationships alive, but then we don't live authentic lives. We actually shrink ourselves. Yeah. If people are managing the story with one with that behavior with placating what would you encourage them to try and yeah, that's... something about it nice yeah it's such an important point like it's funny isn't it placating can be so forced people who placate are nice to be around right they it's by definition going. 
Yeah, easy going. Exactly. Yeah. That's a, yeah. And monsters often I find those self stories that part of us, as you say, that organizes our behavior to keep our, our vulnerable bits protected will love a set of behaviors that is about doing that, which is like keeping relationships with other people easy going. So other people are less likely to be threatening. But so, as you say, it just it makes it very hard then to do those other things that are also really important, articulating needs and acting upon needs. So the really, I think a really important point is to do lots of practice, practicing, trying out new things. And it's, it's for, I think, for a couple of purposes, at least. One is it's a bit like a rubber band, right? You want to, if you're stretching a rubber band, you want to stretch it right out and then let it come back and you have a bit more, the rubber band is a bit bigger. So as we practice new behaviors and try them out, we want to try out and give ourselves new ways of tr- doing things. So it's more available to us. You know, the other thing, of course, is it's in some ways a little bit to, uh, I wouldn't tell a monster this, but it's a little bit to provoke the monster a bit, which is to start practicing things and saying, hey, this is how this is going to be. This is what this is going to be like. And then help the person then as they're doing a new behavior, have a couple of skills to to talk and communicate and be with their monster, with their self-story differently. So they go into it and go, and if they're doing something different to placating, I don't know, mm-hmm. expressing needs, that it's, they're prepared and ready. It's This is going to be a time your monster's probably going to get active. Get ready for it. Notice, what is it going to say? What tricks is it going to have up its sleeve? And what would you like to do differently when it does the things we know it's going to do? Having that kind of entering into a scary situation or out of a comfort zone, but in a prepared way, it comes like a really nice experiment, right? Like a new way to do things, which I find is so super helpful. So rather than it just being sprung on a person, it's kind of different. That's right. That's right. And I think as you were talking, one of the things that came to me is that it's so important to know when your monster shows up and when it's going to get louder and bigger and heavier, right? And and I think once we know that, we can expect. We know that the monster is going to show up. It's a matter of time in some way, right? We're going to prepare. Mm-hmm. Um, I can ask one more question. Um, one of the things that relationships require, all relationships requiring adjustment, negotiating our needs, and sometimes we have to put that relationship needs above us. Right. Mm-hmm. For people who have, a, let's say, an ongoing pattern of placating and mm-hmm. making sure they don't rock the boat, I can hear they will say, but, but it works, right? Because mm-hmm. the relationship is winning. Mm-hmm. How would you help people to distinguish there is a difference between, between placating because you're playing it safe versus mm-hmm. putting at times a relationship needs above yours so that relationship can grow? It's mm-hmm. such a subtle difference. Yeah, yeah, it definitely, isn't it? Yeah, it reminds me kind of what we we're talking about at the start of this conversation about knowing the difference between playing it safe and not. Because yeah. that's the question. If we're asking people to say on the basis of what the behavior looks like, that's really hard because, yeah, there are times absolutely placating is the, I don't know, it's, the, that it's a helpful it. thing to do. Yeah, for sure. The quality I'd be drawing people's attention would be what the feel is like on the inside and then helping them over time to tell the difference between what feels like old school, really familiar, dry, dusty, boring, standard, all the stuff you usually do, actions or placating, versus when it feels different, when it maybe feels it feels fresh, alive, it feels a little new when there's vitality to it. Uh, and be able to make that distinction is going to be so important. And the latter is probably those times when we are slowing down, pausing, and monsters perhaps there, but we uh, <laughs> have a little bit of space for them. Uh, the monster, and we're able to ask ourselves a question like, what's important to me? How would I like to do this? If I could choose what might happen now? And probably that's a situation or a 
that's going to be more likely to develop or fresh, new and vital, probably not always, but possibly. So helping a person just to just check that at each moment and ask themselves that question, I think is really important. I think you're right. I think it makes a huge difference so we can slow down a little bit. Many things happen at once, right? Like we get overly stimulated with so many things, but I think just really digging into what am I sensing right now or what am I noticing and just stepping back a little bit makes a difference. I have one last question. Is that okay? It's fine, sure. Absolutely. Um, And I wish I can have you for hours and hours. I love the work you have been doing and how you just talk about it. I love it. Um, If you you. were to have a cup of tea or coffee with any person you want, who would that be today and why? Yeah. Okay. So drink of choice would be a single malt scotch. Yep. Um, And then we'll see where we go from there. Uh, Something really kind of... (laughs) PT and smoking them by preference, or maybe a cup nice. of tea. But the person of mine, okay, and this is, I haven't really thought too deeply about it. Let's see where it goes, because there's probably something that's connected there. Would be Jim Morrison. Uh, and he would be the person that I would want to sit down and at least have a cup of tea with. He, to me, is a fascinating character as someone who certainly lived life very fast. And I'm not saying that's a good thing, but there was a lot, there's a, some qualities to him that I've, as someone who grew up listening to his music since I was five years old, and I just love the, I don't know, the soulfulness he brings to his music and his singing. It's incredible. And I just, and I'm fascinated by people who live their lives so fast and in the space of when the doors started and he finished. Yeah such a short space of time and so i'm interested in kind of those lives and i know that's probably not there's not always not always good healthy things that means that life gets burned so fast but some qualities there that i think are more about his creativity and the kind of music in and the way he sung and performed i just love to sit out and have a drink with him and say what's that all about where did that come from tell me about that I think that was nice. a fascinating conversation. Nice. So, so after this, after our talk, I definitely going to listen to Jim Morrison. Which song would you recommend me to listen to? The classic would be something like Light My Fire, but Fire. Something sort of like a, a maudlin mood or just something like dark. It's an unknown soldier I kind of quite like. Um, yeah. I just, I mean, this is such a great voice. And that electric piano is just oh, it's so powerful. I love that sound. It's a beautiful sound. You know, so well together. I'm going to definitely listen to the songs. He was a very talented musician. Dear Joe, thank you so much for having a chance to chat today. Um, Please know that I'm a big fan of your work and I hope I can bring you back to the podcast again. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Thanks so much. It's been so fascinating talking about this stuff and yeah, having your questions and it's it's absolutely great work you do. So I'm really honored to be here and have this time. So thank you. If you like this episode, I will very much appreciate it if you will subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. And if you're feeling extra generous, I welcome a review on Apple Podcasts. Show notes of this episode are in the website playingwithsafe.com. Make sure to subscribe to my newsletter so you can receive more tips to stop all types of unworkable playing with safe actions. See you soon!